like for you to grab that hymnal and open right back up to where we just sang, O Come All Ye Faithful. Uh, that's the pretext of my message today. God's just led me to, to actually use some of our old favorite Christmas hymns uh, to be the kind of the foundation for the series of messages I've had through Christmas. But also allow me to read to you Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. So we look at this wonderful passage of Scripture and we see a call for worship. They came to worship him. Now we look at this hymn, and I'll get to that in just a moment, but uh, this hymn is really a call to worship. And it's really a three-phase call to worship. The first stanza is a call for all to come to worship Christ the Lord. The second stanza is for all the heavenly hosts to worship him. And the third stanza is more personal, is called for us to worship him. Let me give you just a little bit of background uh, of this hymn. Uh, O Come All You Faithful, for many years, was basically a Catholic hymn, and it was, as far as they knew, they did not know who wrote it. So it was basically considered anonymous. And then over the years, uh, some manuscripts were discovered, and they did discover that an English layman named John Wade actually wrote this in 1744 and also wrote the music that accompanied it. But he wrote it in Latin, which was the, the, the language of worship for the Catholic Church in years back. Then about 100 years later, uh, it was translated into English by Frederick Oakley. It originally had four stanzas. The second stanza was more of a creed-type uh, uh, stanza, and it's been basically left out of most, including our hymnal. So we look at this wonderful hymn, and it's, again, a call to worship. It's a call for all to come, and it's a call for the heavenly host to come and worship, and then a call for us. But what is a call to worship? We have one in our bulletin just about every Sunday. And Wendy does an excellent job of trying to lead us into a spirit of worship. There's songs like, uh, Holy Spirit, you're welcomed in this place. And the question is, are we really preparing ourselves to worship? So the call to worship is always there, but the question is, are we accepting that call? Are we being drawn to the holy place of worship? And so this beautiful hymn is simply a call to worship. So a call to worship is not just this hymn, but it is our call from God to enter into a place like this to worship. But it's not just at Christmas time, and believe it or not, it's not just Sunday. Our call to worship is to, call, is to come before the Lord's presence each and every day of our lives. And so the Magi may not have understood who they were coming to worship, they knew that there's a sign in the stars that there's a new king to be born, king of the Jews, and they came to worship him. So we, let me just read this beautiful hymn, and then we'll start kind of breaking it down through the uh, stanzas. O come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. O come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold him, born the king of angels. Sing, choirs of angels, sing in exultation. Sing, all ye bright host of heaven above. Glory to God, all glory in the highest. 
Yea, Lord, we greet thee, born this happy morning. Jesus, to thee all glory given. Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing, in the refrain. O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Look at this first verse, and again, it's a general call to worship. It begins with two words, O come. It doesn't just say come. It says, O come. That one little letter, O, it's an exclamation mark. It is to get our attention. It is to say, listen, what is yet to come is critically important. Um, We look and it's really an exclamation of adoration. O come. We look at that little word, O, and it's it's an exclamation. It's something that we need to understand is something that God is using even through this simple hymn that demands our attention. We, use, we see that word O found in the scriptures many, many times. Sometimes it's just a sim- simple letter O. Sometimes it's O-H. Sometimes it's ah. They're all meaning basically the same thing. And many times you see it as O Lord God. And it's like it, you gasp, like I'm in the presence of Almighty God and I need to bask in this moment. So O come. Come to the Lord Jesus. And so it is a call for us to come. And so we look and we see that it's very similar to the word hark as we dealt with and hark the herald angels sing. It's that exclamation, that attention getter that we use to, to draw our attention to the Lord. So the one that we are to respond, those who are to respond are called the faithful. O come, all ye faithful. Well, it's a general call to worship for all to come but not all will come. We see that in our world today. The gospel of Jesus Christ has been shared with so many people throughout our world, and yet not all come. Those who do come are called the faithful. The faithful are those who say, yes, this is what I need, this is what I want. I know that I have sin in my life that I cannot do anything about, but I know that God has given me a gift through his son Jesus. He is my Savior. And so I, a faithful, will now come and worship him because he is worthy of all worship. And we look and we see that there's a way for us to come as the faithful. Joyful and triumphant. Joyful. You know, joyful doesn't mean that you have a big smile on your face and that you're just happy. Joy can come in the worst of all situations. Joy is in the heart, not always on the face, I believe that when we truly have joy in our hearts, it should radiate out from us. And so when we have this joy, it is joy knowing that our sins are forgiven, that God has made a way for us to receive his gift of salvation and eternal life. Without this gift of God, there is no true joy to be found. But not only are we to worship with joyful hearts, but also triumphant. Triumphant. Why triumphant? Well, We are no longer penalized for our sins. Jesus is our victor. He has already won the battle for us. He died on the cross triumphantly over the penalty of sin. Our sins are forgiven, and we have been given his gift of salvation and eternal life. So we are to sing triumphantly, realizing that Jesus is our victor. He has overcome all that we could not deal with ourselves, 
we can do nothing for our own sins other than to die physically and also die spiritually. But what we see is that Jesus has done everything for us. Then the author says, Come ye to Bethlehem. So we all need to get on a plane, fly to Israel, go to Jerusalem, and then travel about five miles south to the little town of Bethlehem, right? Well, that's what he's saying. That's not what he's meaning. He's saying we need to come before the presence of Jesus Christ. And we don't really need to remember him just simply as a babe. But we need to bow before him as Savior and Lord of our lives. What a picture, beautiful picture of intimacy. How do you come to Bethlehem? Well, the way we do it is we have what we call our quiet time, our time of devotion, the time that we get alone with God and we worship Him through reading maybe a simple hymn like this or even singing it in our own hearts. And then we bow before Almighty God in prayer, having that intimate time with God, allowing Him to express His love towards us and His wishes and his desires for our lives. And we are allowed to share the hurts and the pains of our lives, the frustrations, and the need for wisdom and guidance. And that intimate time with God is a time of bowing before him in Bethlehem. We also do it as we read, study, and meditate on the word of God, hearing from him his words for us to live by, a way that we are to understand that he has called us to be his own and we now are to live according to his will. So we come to Bethlehem so that we can worship this one who was born the Savior of all mankind. Then he says, come and behold him. Uh, Susan shared with me many years ago that I guess when she was little, maybe before she could read, she was listening and hearing these wonderful hymns. And she mistook what was being said here. Instead of saying, come and behold him, she thought they said, come, let me hold him. Just think about that. There's a picture of one man holding Jesus. His name was Simeon. When Jesus was, I guess, eight days old and they took him to the temple and gave him his name, Jesus, and dedicated him, a man named Simeon, I think he just went, went over and grabbed him out of Mary's arms and held him up and said, This, Lord, is your salvation. Come, let me hold him. Folks, we can hold Jesus in our hearts and in our lives, and we need to do that each and every day. And he is born the king of angels. Now, Jesus is not just a man that came to earth that lived a wonderful, perfect life. He is king of kings and lord of lords, and he is the king of all angels. Some people give a little bit too much credence to angels. They're not to be worshipped. John found that out in Revelation when he mistakenly uh, worshipped or bowed down before an angel. He said, do not bow before me. I'm not worthy to be worshipped. Jesus is, because he is far above all angels, and he is to be born king of angels. King of all, and he is worthy of all of our praise. So this stands as a powerful call to worship for all people. Unfortunately, not all people will accept that calling, but those who do are called the faithful. And we're to worship him in joyfulness and adoration and triumphantly.
And we are to enter into that beautiful time of devotion, that intimate time of dedication of ourselves to the Lord and receive him as Lord of all. That brings us to the second stanza. This is really a call to worship for all the heavens, for all who are in heaven. Now, as humans, I think it's kind of almost impossible to fully comprehend what it's like for angels to worship. We have one picture, human picture, and it's in this beautiful Christmas story. The angel, one angel came to the shepherds who were biding in the fields, keeping their watch over the flock by night, and the angel gave them this wonderful story that Jesus, the Messiah, had been born in Bethlehem. And then a choir of angels, a host of angels, an army of angels came and began worshiping this event. That's the only time that it's recorded that a host of angels came and worshiped. So what are the angels doing the rest of the time? Well, we get a little bit of a glimpse over in Revelation. Revelation chapter 7, verses 11 through 12 says, And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing, and glory, and wisdom, and thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and might, be to our God forever and ever. Amen. That's what the angels are doing. They're worshiping Almighty God. They know some of the things that we don't know. They know how Jesus came to being a man, sent from God to earth to save man from our sins. But he's always been there. He's always been God, and they have never, ever stopped worshiping him. Then the angels are to sing in exultation. Exultation is expressing great joy. Again, that word joy. Not only are we as humans supposed to share our joy in worship, but so are the angels. In exultation, expressing great joy. The angelic host witnessed the powerful works of God. I think they still stand amazed each and every time God does a miraculous work. And he does that in the hearts and lives of people still. Listen to what Luke chapter 15, verse 10 says. In the same way I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. One sinner! You don't have to be at a Billy Graham crusade and see thousands of people come and give their lives to Christ for the angels to sing hallelujah. One sinner, and they break out in song praising God for the salvation of one more. That's how powerful the gift of salvation is. They worship. They find joy over the one sinner who repents. So this, the entire purpose for our angels is to worship the glory of God. That brings us to the third stanza. Yea, Lord, we greet thee. Call for personal worship. If you notice, the first, ye, you, others. Second stanza, angels, heavenly host. The third stanza, we, we greet thee. 
personal. That means that you and I are to worship Almighty God because of his gift of his Son, Jesus Christ. Yea means yes, yes, Lord, we greet thee. We, again, means that we are open up our hearts and welcoming him as Lord. Born this happy morning. Jesus was born some 2,000 years ago. Yes, that was a happy morning, but not many people knew about it. Mary and Joseph obviously did. The shepherds obviously did because the angels shared with them that wonderful message, and they went into Bethlehem and found the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in the manger. So that was the entire understanding of those who knew. Yeah, there are probably some people in Bethlehem that, that heard the commotion of the, of the shepherds and maybe heard a baby crying and came out to see, but a very small group of people. Yet that was the happiest morning of all history. And it's the same happy morning that you and I ought to have every day. Again, we need to have that intimate time with the Lord where we enter into that presence of Almighty God through His Son, Jesus Christ. So as we uh, meditate on that happy morning, again, we enter into a time of joy, time of meditation, time of surrendering, allowing Him to be Lord of all. This, then it says, Jesus, to thee all glory given. How many times do we take Jesus for granted? Just think about it. Many of us have been Christians for many years. And so sometimes maybe we get to the point where we're really not focusing on our relationship with him. We're not focusing on that intimacy that he desires to have with us where he dwells in us through his Holy Spirit and guides us and uses us for his honor and for his glory. But this says, Jesus to thee be all glory given. We, we focus on so many other things in our lives, and unfortunately we may give a little glory to things that are not worthy of glory. But instead we need to focus on Jesus and make sure that we understand that he deserves all glory, all honor, because he is worthy of our praise. So we look and we see another description. Word of the Father. Word. That's a unique word. <laughs> in the Bible. We find out what it really means in John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word is Jesus. Word of the Father is Jesus of the Father. God the Son is Jesus. He is the Word. He is the Word that God used to speak all creation into being, he is the Word of God who spoke the message of salvation to the world in his earthly ministry. He is also the Word that we will find in Revelation. He is a two-edged sword. The Word coming out of his mouth will slay Satan and all of his demonic forces, and he will have ultimate victory. So the Word is Jesus. He is the voice of creation, the voice of salvation, and the voice of victory. Now in flesh appearing... What would have happened if Jesus had never been born in Bethlehem, had never come to earth? Well, I guess we'd still be under the sacrificial system. We'd be having to sacrifice animals for our sins. And that was a temporary fix until we had to do it all over again. 
that Jesus came, lived that perfect life. He was the only one worthy to die on the cross for my sins and your sins and the sins of the world. So he is now flesh appearing. He came for that purpose. When the time was right, God sent his son in the fullness of time. And he became God with us. Emmanuel, God incarnate. My mind cannot comprehend that. How God could actually become man, live among us, and still be God. The Bible is very clear. He never lost his deity. He is fully God and fully man, and he died for our sins. So he is Emmanuel, God with us. So now, through the Holy Spirit, he is now God in us. That brings us to this beautiful refrain, O come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Kind of repeat those first couple of words, O come. Again, a call to worship. Open our hearts to him because he is worthy of all worship and praise and adoration. And we don't need to wait till we enter into a beautiful sanctuary like this to worship him. We don't have to wait for Wendy to lead us in a call to worship. This call to worship is for us at all times. He is worthy of our praise at all times. Yes, we need to have that special time that we begin our day with where we enter that time of prayer and Bible study and allow him to speak to us, surrendering anew our lives to him. That's our call to worship. But anytime, anywhere that we sense that we need to be in the presence of God, we need to accept this call of worship. O come, let us adore him, for he is Christ the Lord. Adoration is expressing love, honor, and glory to the only one who is worthy of it. And he is Christ the Lord. We use the term Jesus Christ quite often. Jesus was his physical earthly name. That's the name that Mary and Joseph gave him on that eighth day when they uh, dedicated him in the temple. Christ is his title. Christ means Messiah. He is God's gift to mankind. He is the Christ, the Messiah, the one sent by God to be the Savior of the world. And then the word Lord, that is his position. Lord is his position of power and authority that he is to be Lord over all. That's why we as sinners must first confess our sins before him and then confess him as Lord of all of our lives. And as we do, God will open our hearts and he will show us that we now belong to him as a child of God and that Jesus is truly Lord of our lives. So we look at this beautiful hymn, beautiful Christmas carol, and it's a beautiful call to worship. First, it's a call to worship to the world around us, and we need to be a part of that call to worship. We need to be sharing the love of Christ, the message of salvation with all the world, so that they will hear the truth and they will receive their own personal calling to receive Christ as Lord. Then the call to worship for the angels. Our minds may struggle to comprehend the angels in heaven worshiping our Lord, but it's a helping us to understand that we're not alone in our worship. And then the personal call to worship. We, us, are drawn to him. We need to be drawn to him throughout the day, every day, 
not just on a Sunday, not just at Christmas time, but every time that we see our need to adore him as Christ the Lord. So this call to worship, it's not just for today. It's called worship for life, to live our lives in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ each and every day, to worship him in adoration, worship him as Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we come to you today realizing that Jesus is the most perfect gift we could ever receive. Lord, Christmas is just an arbitrary time that we are now worshiping and praising you for this gift of life, this gift of eternal life through your Son, Jesus. Lord, today we bow before you, recognizing the power of this gift. This gift is your gift of salvation and eternal life. But it's not a gift that we need to hoard to ourselves and say, this is mine and only mine. This gift that we need to share with the world around us so that they too can receive this, this call to worship, this call to salvation. Help us, Lord, to be found faithful in sharing your love with the world around us. But Lord, help us to never take this worship for granted. Help us to focus on you and this wonderful gift of life each and every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.